Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Wrong Fucking Question Podcast. I'm Mike, and in this episode, Chop and I ponder all of the wonderful things that are going to happen when AI shows up to take all our jobs. I apologize for the delay in getting this episode out to you all. We have some robots to fight off. Let's get to it. Count your blessings, podcast session. You ask a lot of things, but it's the wrong fucking question. Huh? Say it's the wrong fucking question. Mike Golden and Chops will tag him in the mention. Question. What is going on there, Chop? Oh, nothing, man. Absolutely nothing. Slow Sunday. I've got something on my mind. I'm a little worried. Let me know. I'm seeing all these posts all over the interwebs. They all say that AI is about to take my job. I want to know from you, is AI going to take my job? Well, it's not like I'm an expert or anything, but I would wager no. Well, if I have to put it in a single word, then my answer is no. <laughs> well, that's good to know. My job is safe for the time being. The thing is that, you know, as with all of these questions, it's a matter of context. Your job is pretty much safe, I'd wager. And I'd say the same for mine. Will some people lose their jobs due to AI? Absolutely. Yes, I'm I'm pretty much certain that this will be a thing at some point in time. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in a year even, but at some point, yes. However, a lot of creative industries, I think, are pretty much safe from AI taking their jobs. Now, we're seeing all of these pictures with the whatever the thing that NVIDIA released was where... I scribble a couple of colors and it gives me mountains and a sky and a lake and a so house. The GAN synthesizer. Is, oh, the GAN uh, synthesizer. GAN stands for Generative Adversarial Network. Adversarial? Yeah, no wonder they shortened it <laughs> into GAN. Uh, but it boils down to this you have two like neural networks. One is called the generator and one is called the discriminator. And basically, the discriminator learns what makes things look like those things. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of tells the generator what to create in an image. If it's used for visual purposes, which for which it mostly is used, it's also used in audio to a certain extent, but I'm not really into that. So I don't, I don't really know how exactly that works. But basically, I think it's pretty much the same concept, probably. You know, the discriminator kind of learns why something sounds the way it sounds, and then it tells the generator how to make other random shit sound like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Yeah. But, I mean, the problem with NVIDIA's image synthesizer is that it's crap. And why is it crap? I think I know what you're going to say. Have you, have you seen the images it produces? I have. Yeah, well, it's crap. Well, so the, the biggest issue I have with this is that it was advertised when it first came out. Every headline on every news portal, even like CG portals and, you know, websites that deal with all of this that we're dealing with, it was always the same headline. And it said, look at 
NVIDIA's new GAN synthesizer produced amazingly photorealistic images. That was the key point in this title, yes. amazingly photorealistic. So first of all, it doesn't produce amazingly photorealistic images. It produces pretty cool shit. I'll give them that. But it also produces images which have like glaringly obvious signs of being AI generated. You know how you use it, right? You scribble shit and yep. then it kind of changes the colors that you scribbled into some other shit, which kind of looks like the shit you want it to look yeah. like. Blue is sky, green is lake, brown yeah, is mountain. Something. Yeah. Yeah. But on the edges of these things, the forms you're drawing aren't really super precise or anything. So on the edges of this, you always get this very interesting, like kind of kind of like a motion blur thing going on. Yeah, it's a, it's a soft tells, edge from a clone stamp brush, basically. Yes, it looks like that, yeah. And you can tell from a mile away it's AI generated because it's eerily similar to what, uh, you know Google's algorithm that kind of dreams up pictures? Yep. You've seen that, mm -hmm. that like, like super creepy shit it produces, which looks like dogs and I don't know what. It's like super weird. But it's all full of this very same kind of stroke, it's almost like a painterly stroke kind of thing. It's the same thing that happens, you know, if I have to remove something from an image for work, first thing I do is I lasso it and I use Photoshop's content to where delete. Yeah, and yeah. So the underlying technology, it's kind of the same. And it does a so, good job, but I still need to go in and retouch it if I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah, very often you get these exact same like super weird edges and stuff. And well, that's one thing. The other thing is that any like neural network is only as smart as the amount of data you put into it. So NVIDIA's synthesizer does like when you paint a rock, it does this rock, right? It's not going to do like a million different variations of rock. It's just going to do this, what whatever it thinks looks like a rock. So it's kind of limited in that regard because Obviously, there's a limit to how much data they could put into it to train it because that has to be done manually. Somebody has to find fucking, you know, pictures of rocks and shit to put inside. You know, an interesting thing that I read recently is that, you know, all of the um, human verification stuff on websites like spell these letters, pick out the parts of this image that have a car in them. Yeah. Um, I'm told that like, the ones that are of the order, pick out the frames in this image or the parts of this image that have a car in them or a bike in them or whatever else is helping to train using basically a service, which is human verification, to help train AI mechanisms of this is a yes. car. Yes, absolutely. This this is exactly what it's doing. You're basically helping them train train the AI and telling it where the data is and what it looks like. But it's, it's, you know, it's the same thing that people thought, you know, you remember the 10 year challenge on Facebook? No. It was a hashtag and suddenly everybody posted two of their photos. Oh, like now and 10 yeah. years before. Yes, Sound familiar yes, yes, now? yes, yes, yes. It's the, it was the exact same thing. I remember it now. Yeah, now think of that in the context of machine learning and AI, right? So you've just it's created... It's like giving them... Yeah. You've just created a giant data set for it to chew on of here's what people look like exactly 10 years apart. 
Yes. It's a massively yes. curated data set. Yep. Massively curated and massive as a data set in itself. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think people don't don't really get is that AI is nothing new. So the first time AI had like a hype cycle was from the late 50s till the 80s, which, you know, we weren't even born. We were and not. yet there was talk about AI. And of course, a lot of that talk was about people losing their jobs and shit and stuff, right? And now let's be fair. So there was a lot of fear. Like this is back when like, you know, calculators were a big thing, both literally and, you know, within the cultural yeah. context. Now, people didn't lose jobs in the way that all the hype suggested it, but automation has led to a decreasing role of humans in manufacturing and, and a lot of other industries, right? Yeah. And so, while well, I totally agree with you that, like, I'm not worried about my job disappearing anytime in the near future from AI, not just because of its limitations, but because of the nature of the work. I do think that some of these types of technologies are going to start impacting the overall size of the workforce. I mean, to some extent, we can expect AI to replace some of the work that we've been doing, which is a great thing. I actually. cannot wait for it. There's a lot of yes. trivial stuff that I would love to have a machine do. Yes, because, you know, if I have an AI system which can turn a day shot into a night shot, nobody will ever be happier. Like, that's fucking perfect. Yeah. But somebody has to make the day shot. I also would love, I mean, here's here's where I get really excited. Like, excuse myself for a minute excited, is thinking of being able to feed in drawings, DWGs, from a client and get back an accurate representation in 3D from those 2D drawings. Well, that's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm sorry to disappoint you, though. It's it's going to happen, though. Well, they'll probably just stop drawing it at that point, to be 100% honest. But the problem with this is that you, by saying this, you assume the data you get from your client is actually correct. Well, so, but here's the hard, no, I'm not. So here's the, the biggest issue. And one of, so one of the things that I've always thought about doing is that initial task of, of modeling out a building typically from actual construction documents, right? Because any 3D models exist, existed during the design phase. Things have changed as they've gone through the rigors of getting ready for construction. And I need to represent the end product, not the idea of the product. There's always, always, always conflicts between elevations or sections not lining up with plans and on and on and on. And there's always errors. That part of the process the modeling of the building is my least favorite part of being an ArcViz artist, oh, far and away. And so I've thought long and hard, well, should I find someone who could do it for me? Not, not a machine, like just hire someone that can do it. And the problem with that is that if it's not an employee who's sitting next to me who I can look at his work and double check things directly, it becomes very hard to make sure that their personal standards for accuracy match mine because I don't want to go into a meeting and have them say, well, is that ceiling nine foot eight and me be, well, it's close. Like that would, I would, I would not be okay with that position. <laughs> well, yeah. And then if, if you're in a position where you have to actually manually check if it's correct, you could have done it on your own in the first place. 
Exactly. And so the beauty of something like um, what I'm hoping for or, or kind of dreaming of would be that it could, A, take the drawing and start to make it into 3D or make it into 3D, but it could also say, here are the eight points that, that need human answering, right? Where this plan suggests that this wall is 20 feet long and the elevation suggests that it's 20 and a half feet long. It could do a far, far, far better job than an employee or myself in pointing out those discrepancies, right? Because checking through all of that for consistency is a, is a trivial task for a machine and is a hard one for a human. Well, yes, that's a tough one, though, because with everything AI or machine learning or code, you have to have something to be able to know something so it's a bit hard to explain but you know it's a imagine a bunch of if then statements right in code you're taking some arbitrary data and you're pushing a lot of what if it's like this or what if it's like that statements on it but that assumes that there's a system how it actually works and that you can like be very deterministic about the results you're going to get now architects use i don't know some architects use a bunch of different layers while they're doing their like building drawings. Some of them do it in Revit. Some of them do it in Archicad. Some of them do it in God knows what. Creating a system which could consistently understand all of this data is such an immense task that I'm not really sure even how that would work. I won't go as far as to say it's impossible, obviously, but I'm not seeing it anytime soon and I'm hope, I hope I'm wrong. Well, think of, so, think of it. Let's get that clear. Let's think of it this way, though. When an architect is drawing elevations for a room, right, they've probably, they've typically already drawn the plan, and then they rotate that plan and draw lines up from that plan to mark out where um, walls and stairs and all of those types of things are going to be based off the that's plan. That's the hope, yeah. That's that's like the standard process of of. Tra- of taking a plan into, you know, elevation. And somehow, even though it's a simple task of snapping to lines properly, architects, just by my own looking at their drawings, are terrible at this, right? Because they change one thing. Eventually, they get to a point where they're like, oh, this room has to be eight inches shorter because of some HVAC. Then you forget to update and blah, 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 and whatnot. And so if we're even considering this type of stuff being um, viable on a 3D level, then it's certainly viable on a 2D level where AutoCAD stops being retarded and starts knowing that this line is representing the same thing in these two drawings. So if you update one, it'll tell you to update the other. Now I'm going to tell you something which you probably didn't know. Do you know that you can do this in AutoCAD for years now? Fucking Autodesk. And people don't use it because it's... Oh, no. This is this is specifically not an Autodesk problem at all. So, for example, in, in I don't know, Autodesk Inventor or in SolidWorks or in any, like, uh, parametric machine design CAD software... You can use constraints, right, to yeah. design your things, yes. which is pretty standard and normal. So if you constrain certain values to other values, if you change one of them, all of the others will 
adapt and update based on the criteria you set. Yes. You have a set of constraints in AutoCAD since God knows when, which are exactly the same like in Inventor. So you can use that and say, this length is constrained to this length. This line is always parallel to this line. This is always perpendicular to this. This can only be at this angle and blah, 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 blah. And yet nobody uses it ever. I've never seen an architectural drawing ever in my whole life which used this. But the obvious thought on that would be it's not being used because it slows down the workflow too much to be worth it. Of course, because architecture, like many creative things you have to do, you change shit so much that it becomes a diminishing return situation. But so that's a software. Very quickly. Right. Like I'm sure there are a lot of architects that would love to use this if it wasn't time consuming to use. Yeah. But how do you make it not time consuming? Because however, whichever system you implement, you will surely have to at some point click something which will set up a relationship between these two things. See, I don't know about that. I think, so I was driving, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was driving just yesterday um, with my wife and we were driving down the highway and we were using Google Maps um, to get us to the lake we were headed to. And Google Maps has um, instituted a functionality that, for a very, very long time, Waze has had, which is that like, hey, there's a cop up ahead, right? It's not mind-breaking. And with Waze, when you drive past a cop, you can say, I saw a cop right here. You just click a little button, right? Yeah. With Google Maps, as far as I can tell, there's no way to actually say there's a cop here. I have no idea how they're getting the data that there's a cop there. But it's consistently, over the past couple of months, been telling me, a little late, to be honest, but been telling me when a cop is, is coming up. And my theory on this is that because they don't allow you to actually enter it, they're deriving that data from driving habits, which is that if there's a cop on the side of the road, everyone slows down to the speed limit, which to a computer would look significantly different than slowing down for an accident or something else, Right. Because no one's slowing down significantly. Everyone's slowing down to the posted speed limit. So my speculation, and it's purely speculation, is that Google is just looking at the data that they have, which is there are people driving on this road and they're driving at this speed, and extrapolating from that where cops are. That could be true. However, with all Google services, the fact that you don't see there's a cop here button doesn't mean that there's no there's a cop here button. It's very, very true. That's very, very true. But I don't think it would be a far stretch to say that you could extrapolate where there are police monitoring speeds based off of driving data if you had enough data to train the model. Of on. course, because if everybody slows down at the same time without uh, like speed sign, which they know where they're placed, yep. then you can kind of you know correlate that data and figure out, okay, everybody's slowing down, but there's no speed restriction. Therefore, it has to be either an accident or a cop. And if it was an accident, they'd be slowing down below the speed limit, theoretically. Yeah. And if there's a traffic jam, then everybody would slow down at the same time. So you can exclude that as well. So I don't think that's that's really so hard to figure out. No, I think it would be a, a it's just a matter of having enough data to look at. Right. So, yeah. 
Either way, let's leave 2D drawing aside. I think that 2D getting to the point where you can say like, okay, they're drawing this line because it's also representing this line. I don't think that that's a far fetch to say that software will be able to figure it out without a user saying this line and this line are, are conjoined. Yeah, sure. But let, let's, so let's take this a little bit further though, because um, I think it's an interesting question. Let's say that N- NVIDIA's GAN was better than what it was. Let's say that it, it did what it says, everyone says it does, which is create photorealistic images, right? Theoretically or hypothetically, the software, as far as like joining two pictures together in a seamless and realistic way, will continue to get better to the point where it will be indistinguishable, I believe. Now, even when that happens, and I don't think that this is a, a fear that any visual artist needs to have for today or next year or their five-year plan, let's say. But I do think that that's coming. Um, And I'm still not worried about my job. And the reason is, and you alluded to it before, which is that it gives you a rock or maybe it gives you a couple options of different rocks. But at the end of the day, I need that rock. Yeah. Specificity is the name of the game here, right? Yeah. We are hired to do insanely specific things and creating insanely specific things out of nothing is not possible because the neural networks and AIs are only as good as their training data is and you can't train it for everything imaginable because it doesn't work that way so the problem is exactly as you say it's not about a rock it's about the rock it's not about a house it's about this house and the number of these very specific parameters in every project you do is absolutely huge and it's right? everything is super specific so how do you tackle that with an ai and it, and it does two things like i bet if we looked at the last kitchen image that i created for a client and the last kitchen image that you created for a client they'd probably be fairly similar right Design trends are what they are, right? Like, yeah, um, it tends to be, oh, yeah, back 10 years ago, everyone was doing this kind of cabinet and this kind of stone, and now they're using these subsets of those. So there's the specificity, but again, that's something that a computer could help with, right? Because you could just have a technician that's pointing it in one direction or the other. But at the same time, if we took one of those kitchens that have been built and we hired two separate photographers to go take pictures of that kitchen, they will produce, again, two different results that clients would like more or less depending on their personal tastes. Yes. And so, and why is that? Because we're talking about a, subject, a subjective topic of beauty and what's going to sell a particular project. Yes. And there we get to one of the core issues with machine learning. And this is also worth mentioning because um, I don't think a lot of people understand exactly what the process is behind this. I mean, I'm not going to claim I understand it fully. Obviously, I'm not a machine learning AI expert, but I did my a fair amount of code in my life and I've read through a lot of articles about this and I, I kind of have a basic understanding of what's going on. But uh, I wrote this in a, in a post recently, the... The important thing about this is that if you teach an AI to multiply numbers, what's going to happen is that this AI will figure out how a multiplication table looks. Mm -hmm. It's never at any point going to fundamentally understand what multiplication of numbers is. 
it's just going to know what the result's going to look like and what kind of happens. But it's not going to suddenly gain, you know, this deep fundamental understanding of what this process is. Yeah. It's based on data, which produces different data. So this is what's happening with visual synthesizers as well. They can reproduce certain things, but they also lack a fundamental understanding of what, what these things are. That's, that's one of the problems we have to deal with. Because as an artist, you have to think about the relationship of things. It's not only, you know, oh, this concrete, this is that, this is that, here's a cabinet, here's a vase. No, it's important if this vase is a centimeter to the left or one to the right, or does the design of the, I don't know, accessories fit into the style that somebody wanted. And lastly, all of that is based on your any given client's perception of what beautiful is. And how well you can interpret that is how valued you're going to be, in my opinion, by your client. Absolutely, yes. So, and how do you teach an AI, AI that? There, right? there was a beautiful thing, and this was years ago. This was when I think uh, machine learning was first really starting getting talked about in the same way that it is now, which is that um, they took a uh, double pendulum. Are you familiar at all with double pendulums? Yeah. So like a pendulum is very easy to predict its movement and its uh, period and everything else. Uh, when you attach another pendulum onto the bottom of that, the movement of it is it appears completely chaotic when the bottom one flips over, when it seems subdued. It, when you look at it, it almost looks fake and it's just it's natural movement. We don't have any um, we don't have any equations to describe the movement of a double pendulum because it's so complex. And so they took a double pendulum and they, you know, put sensor points at uh, the hinges and the ends so that a computer could see the rotational velocity, the overall velocity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and let it run and gather data and draw whatever conclusions it will, as it were. And, it did two things. It spit out one massive equation, like, I don't know, something like 26, 27 factors in it. This incredibly complex equation that actually does describe the movement of a, a double pendulum, and it's so complex that we just can't see the pattern in it, but it's accurate. The more interesting thing that it did is that it also spit out F equals MA, right, of force equals mass times acceleration, a very, very simple kind of fundamental physics equation. Yeah. And it's amazing that it was able to extrapolate this kind of like high highlighted truism from this incredibly complex data. But to your point, until we start talking about super intelligence, which is a different question, I think, than what we're talking about right now, it just takes us as like, hey, look at this thing I found. Not not as like something that changed how humans live altogether or the import of why. Yeah, I mean, the applications of all of this tech are endless, really. And the point is that I like it. You know, oftentimes when, when I talk about it, it kind of sounds like I hate the shit out of all of that stuff, but it's not true. I love it. I just don't like them kind of misconceptions people have about this and it's uh once again we're what we're seeing is a hype train like a real tangible hype train because now everything is ai suddenly 
And like a huge percentage of whatever is being peddled as AI right now is just a shitload of if-then statements. There's no AI in it. Well, it depends how you define AI. Technically, a calculator is is artificial intelligence. Yes, exactly. Now, here we come into a totally different problem. Accurately defining AI is something which kind of escapes us completely because nobody seems to agree on what AI is and what machine learning exactly is. And you'll find if you Google, like, what is AI, what is machine learning, you'll end up in a bottomless pit of articles which say completely the opposite things. Very often, these definitions vary significantly. Some are very narrow, some are very broad, some are actually like polar opposites. And nobody has actually, you know, we don't have anybody who said, okay, no, but this is like the one official definition of AI. So a lot of things kind of go under the radar here and pass off as AI, which are not really that, you know. Or they are, but then AI is just not as scary as everyone thinks that it is. Right, like the fact that my my calculator can do sums that would take me a while to work out by hand is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm happy that it exists. And it's artificial intelligence in the sense that it's doing something that my brain would have would struggle to do. But then when we get scared of AI or when we get this, we're going to all lose our jobs because of AI type talk, we start thinking Terminator shit. And that's yeah. that's the far other end. And now I think media has an incentive to keep this ambiguous for the sake of its own headlines so that they can say like, oh my God, look at what this AI is doing. All the farmers in the Midwest are no longer going to have jobs. Well, Farmers have been relying on on AI computers to do their jobs better and more efficiently for fucking decades, right? Like yeah. if farmers didn't have GPS in their tractors, they would be out of business at this point <laughs> because they couldn't keep up with, with the way that the industry has changed. It's made their, their work much more efficient because they don't need to sit there and make every small decision about every small turn and turn of the wheel that they did. Same with shipping, right? Like the idea of a ship that couldn't auto navigate via GPS is decades old at this point in the commercial world. Yeah. But just, you know, when you mention shipping, just look at a massive container ships and the way they sort the containers based on the ports which we, which they get off on so that they have minimal loading and unloading and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's crazy shit, it's right? It's crazily optimized. And now there probably yeah. are less longshoremen now at any given port. They're manually unloading and onloading containers. Yeah. But there are still longshoremen and there are still captains on ships. And I, th- yes. and I think that when we think about this from an artistic standpoint, what I get really excited about is that I think that as software gets more and more intelligent, which is all that AI is, right? Uh, at least until we, again, there's like the super intelligence thing, which maybe we should talk about again later because that's a different story. But um, when we talk about AI in the general sense, I look forward to when instead of having to sit down and say like, fuck, I do the same task repetitively I'm going to write a code that does it more efficiently for me. I look forward to when my software says, you do this all of the time. Here's a button that does it now. 
Oh, hell yes. Right? And I don't think that that's far off. And when we talk about the GAN stuff, I look forward similarly to when it can't do my job, but it can say, like, here's 30 options that save you buckets yeah. of time. And you say this one. And then you go down the rabbit hole until you end up where you want to get to. I think that. Yeah, I mean, just imagine, I don't know, sky backplates, you know, instead of searching and buying from like stock and whatnot, you can just tell it, okay, generate a bloody sky at this time of the hour somewhere, you know, and in this weather conditions, which isn't really too hard, shouldn't be too hard to do with the tech we have today. I mean, at this point, it doesn't even need to generate it. It just needs to, I'm saying like, I'm looking for a sky where the sun is coming from this angle and the clouds are kind of shaped like this. Give me some options. Yeah. Right. As opposed to me saying like, well, here's the first four I found and then comping them into the Photoshop file or the 3D file, depending on how I'm looking at it and saying like, well, of the four that I found, I'll pick the best of those four when there could be much, much better options that just take too long for me to go find and look at and evaluate. Absolutely. And, you know, this is one of the things that would surely like speed up your workflow a lot and just eliminate one of the issues you have while doing this kind of work. It will never replace your work. It will just take a small subset of it, which is irritating and boring and do it with a click of a button, which is wonderful. And it ultimately will make me much more productive. Yes, I mean, that's the idea, right? So then the part of my work, let's say, that becomes valuable is my personal judgment. That becomes more valuable in that world because the amount of work I need to do for any image goes way, way down. And I think that the people that should be worried about in the near future are people that should be worried even without AI, which is that if you just look at how much better raw renderings look now than they did fuck even four or five years ago oh hell yes right like they're the your average architect that's working in 3d can produce a pretty decent image of his work at this point yeah with like minimal effort exactly and so if you're only producing slightly better images than them your value within the industry and to a client is almost negative because it's going to take work to have you produce this image that that is only marginally better. I think that I agree to any current artist is a much, much bigger threat than AI. And I think AI presents a huge opportunity for people that are actively trying to improve the non-tangible skills in their craft. Oh yes. Because it lets them focus on the non-tangible skills. However, You know, this threat of like democratizing rendering and whatnot is pretty much in the same ballpark, right? Industry changes, markets change, everything changes. So imagine 10 years ago, it wasn't normal or standard that every tree you put in an image is fully 3D. It was... Let alone animated or God knows what. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, it was odd if any of the trees were 3D. 10 years ago, 2009, yeah, I mean... It wasn't that But it wasn't odd, but, standard because you know, most of them were garbage. Like they looked bad. Yeah, they looked bad. That's true. And these things change. It's it's a normal part of the process, but nobody, you know, lost their jobs just because suddenly we have like these massively complicated and super realistic 3D vegetation now. We also 
got a shit ton of like stock repositories for textures now you can just go and buy our textures you couldn't do that before not in the amount and quality which you can get today nobody lost their job because of this right or substance came and suddenly with substance you can you can create a system with which you can generate infinite variations of textures and yet nobody lost their job people adapt and you know markets and workflows adapt it's it's a pretty normal thing you know what's interesting is that if you think of like your cpu utilization right like you're currently working on the fastest computer you've ever worked on kind of by definition right more or less yeah and just at idle with like your email open you're still running like you're still eating a decent amount of your computer resources, more computer resources than you had in total 10 or 15 years ago. Yep. And same with games, right? Like games are getting better and better and better, but they're still using their machines at percentage wise of, of use the same amount as the computers get stronger, the software demands more. And I think as it's become easier and easier to swap out one tree for another or swap one sky for another or, you know, change a chair from one to another. Clients, in turn, have expected that they can do that. They can specify yes. with more and more specificity. They can get more rounds of review or whatever else, depending on your process. And I see no reason to think that clients, as these technologies start to emerge, that clients aren't going to start expecting, well, I'd like to see this with eight different skies and 12 different moods and six different suites of furniture yeah because we know you can do it exactly because everybody else is doing it by now and oh yeah that's that's kind of the point and at that point we will adapt and offering eight different uh, i don't know sun environments is going to be the new standard yeah if you can get them like all at once if an ai comes around which uh, consistently generates high quality uh, night shots from like day shots night shots are just gonna become like expected yeah. as you know a side effect of you working on this nobody's gonna give you money for it anymore because they can do it themselves if they want to it's like those um you know now there's that you know gray area between animation and still which is like the moving image where like the water's moving or the trees are blowing or whatever else cinemagraphs i think they're generally called um, yeah and right now, I'm finding more and more clients are asking for them. Depending on what exactly they're asking for, they might be trivial to make or quite complex to make. But you know that software that's like an iPhone app that, um, you know, like you draw a couple lines and it kind of like fake animates. It kind of pushes the pixels around to right? like get the illusion of motion. Yeah, Exactly. Now that is to just about anyone pretty clearly just like, oh, they're kind of blurring and shifting things. But you could imagine some of the technology that's going into portrait mode in phones right now, going into those same uh, softwares and saying like, we're going to keep this still and only move the stuff behind it, right? Like it, it's not a far leap of the imagination to say like a year or two from now, those softwares are going to be potentially mind-blowingly cool. Yeah. And then it's just going to be, well, I'm not going to lose my job over it. I'm just going to be expected to use something like that as part of my job. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly it. Client expectations change and shift all the time. 
as we introduce new tech into you know our work but it's pretty much the same on every other market as well it's like the same with phones everybody now expects a super high-end camera and you know like high-end screens with super good resolution and stuff like that some things just become standard by virtue of you know getting accepted in the market this is exactly what's going to happen with any kind of improvement in the visual like areas of creative work and i still don't see that as a problem or as people losing their jobs potentially you should be afraid i think basically i mean to sum it up if your your work is shit yeah if you're more of a technician than a art director or creator well i wouldn't even go that far because technicians will always be needed as well but fewer of them well that's i don't think that question has such a simple answer actually because as computers improved as computer science improved have we seen lesser coders have we seen lesser it technicians no we've seen much much more of that. i'm thinking of technicians And as uh, not in that sense because in that sense you'd be working for the people making these softwares right or servicing people using these softwares as opposed to um, the more, uh, what I'm calling a technician is more of like someone who uses 3D, they don't do a great job of it, but they can technically produce a 3D rendering. There's not a lot of, of merit beyond that, right? Like if you're, if you're working in, in a firm that um, the biggest thing that you can say is that we can turn out 30 images a day, even if they're unremarkable, that's going to be a problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what we're saying, you know, but I just didn't want to go into this whole, you know, when you say technician, it kind of to to a less observant listener, it might sound as something to do with actual technique, which we talked about before. And it's not about that. right? Correct. Correct. It's about people producing like um, a quantity of work without sufficient quality. Yes. Basically. So if you're if you're a quantity based let's call it like that a company or individual artist or somebody you should be afraid definitely because then you have really nothing left to offer because at that point your prospective client will be able to effortlessly repeat what you're doing anyway yeah because creating work will continue i think to get faster and easier both for professionals and for laymen or architects who are just visualizing their designs as a means to sell it to their clients. Absolutely. These things are getting simpler and simpler all the time. I mean, just, you know, look at, look at a stupid example. Okay. Look at a chamfer modifier in 3ds max. Love the chamfer modifier. Everybody loves the chamfer modifier because back in the day, right? You didn't have a chamfer modifier. So what you had to do is that at some point, if you wanted your things to look like realistic and everything and have these nice chamfered edges to get all those nice thin highlights, you would have to at some point commit and say, okay, now I'm converting this to poly and I'm chamfering these edges manually, which is in itself a tedious process, but there's no going back from it. Yeah. Once you've done it, you're, you're fucked. And now suddenly we could do it completely non-destructively with a single click of a button 
and it's working. And now we all take it for granted because it's been here a few years. And I've been using heavily rounded edges in my shaders. For anything that's not close to the camera, I'm not even putting the chamfer modifier on it anymore because I still have to put a chamfer modifier on every single mesh or at least instance across every every mesh that I want to have it. And now I can just say I want all of the bronze to have a fifth, five hundredths of an inch of a chamfer on it. And unless it's yeah, I chamfer everything. And unless it's close to the camera, the one in the shader is indistinguishable from geometry. I don't know. I would know it's there. I'm not selling images to 3D artists. I don't care. <laughs> but like at, at a certain point, that's going to continue getting better, right? Like the biggest artifact from that is when you actually get to the corner. Of, if Let's say we're, we're chamfering the edges of a pipe. When you actually get to the corner of a pipe um, or a bar and it turns, you're going to see a hard edge as opposed to a rounded edge, right? Like yes. that's one step of a shader away from being fixed. Um, probably it, it's going to, it's yeah. going to, those things are going to keep getting easier and easier to where their value will be assumed rather than paid for. Yes. And I mean that the sooner, the better, you know, I agree. I absolutely agree. I, I welcome all that these types of technologies are going to bring to us. Cause I think that they are going to eradicate a lot of the annoyances of working in 3d or the tedium of working in 3d and make the fun part the bigger percentage of your image making time. Yes, exactly. You get to you get to focus on the fun part finally and do a lot less of the stupid stuff. Yeah. You know. But whenever art direction is needed, I don't think AI will be able to to actually compete. Not until we get super Not unless Yes, not not until we get to the point where it's actually intelligent, not artificially intelligent, and can create with meaning. That's that's the core issue. Which these are synthesizers, right? They they generate shit, but that shit doesn't have meaning, doesn't have context, doesn't have philosophy behind it, because these are these are terms which are completely foreign to an AI system, and until then. Yeah, at that point, we should kind of get worried a bit. Yeah, See, I, sure. I don't think we need to get worried at that point either because once, once we get that kind of intelligence, it's not artists that need to worry about their jobs. If that thing is, is benevolent, then it's umbrella drinks on the beach from there on out for all of us as far as I'm concerned. And if it's benevolent, hopefully it's – or if it's malevolent, hopefully it's a quick end and painless. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, they don't find John Connor, and everything's gonna be cool. God damn it, John! Keep us safe. Yeah. Well, okay. That was interesting. That was a fun one. I think. I think you know. There's lots more to be said, and that we're actually gonna. We are yet to see where all of this is going. But the only thing I would like everybody to take from this is that don't don't take for granted everything you read about this stuff because a lot of it is simply untrue and a lot of it is greatly over-exaggerated. Okay, so yes, AI is cool and it's going to get even cooler as we progress, but there's always problems and a lot of these problems aren't really apparent if you're not into computer logic and how everything you know actually works on the inside when you're an end user when you see the stuff working for you that's all cool you know but to get there 
there's usually a lot of work and time and effort that somebody had to spend to make it work like that, to be effortless and super easily usable and whatnot. So just take it all with a grain of salt, right? Yeah, and I, and I think you do mention one point that I think is worth mentioning again, which is that having some understanding of how programs work, how computers think, is, is going to become more and more valuable. Like we're at a point where we're teaching that to kids in school, basic programming in like elementary and middle schools even. And I think that there's a lot of people around our generation that kind of fell in this gap where that knowledge would be incredibly valuable to them as far as understanding the tools they're already working with and definitely understanding the tools they're soon going to be working with that is currently missing. Oh, absolutely. I mean... On that point, I really couldn't agree more. I think everybody today should learn the fundamentals of computer science and how to code. Everybody, no matter what their intended job or career might be in the end, it's just there's no going around computers and like super advanced cell phones and whatnot. I mean, I started my career on a dual core CPU and now my cell phone has eight cores. <laughs> I mean, how fucking weird is that? Yeah. I mean, our, our cell phones are significantly more advanced than the computers we started on and more powerful. Yes. But I, th I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when um, let's, let's substance, when substance came out, the job of texture artist didn't go away. But if you didn't learn substance, your value as a Photoshop only texture artist went down. Absolutely. In a lot of industries, especially the game industry, yes. It's more tools that you need to know how to use well. And for the foreseeable future, and as technology gets more and more advanced, it doesn't necessarily mean it gets easier to use. Yes, right? and Substance is actually, well, besides, I'm talking Substance Designer here, obviously, besides being one of my absolutely favorite pieces of software, is actually a prime example of how you need to understand the fundamental logic behind the software to be able to even use it let alone produce good results yeah it's a it's a fundamental requisite requirement yep and so i think that that's really the lesson which is that don't be scared of it but also don't ignore it because it's going to be important and if you were one of the first if you were a talented texture artist before something like substance and and um, what quick what's Quixel's one? Well, Quixel has uh, Megascans, Mixer, and uh, what's the third one? Is Mixer the one that generates actual maps? Uh, well, Mixer kind of mixes their Megascans assets into weird new textures and shapes and stuff. Either so they used to have the DDO NDO stuff, which was like a Photoshop plugin. Yep, yep. And I'm thinking. I think they're working on kind of changing their the complete structure of their tools, but yeah, it's but it's not it's not node based like um, like Substance yeah. Designer. Substance Designer is a completely different beast. You have to think in a because it's actually procedural. Yes. So yeah, Quixel is more like texture based and all of that, three D scan based and stuff like that. But for now, at least, but Substance now has Substance Alchemist which is also kind of like an AI thingamajig. I don't know if you've tried I, that one. I, I'm not even sure I've watched a demo of this one yet. 
You should. It's it's uh, very interesting because it can actually generate new materials out of your materials based on filters. Oh or yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah. and it looks super powerful. Yes, but it's it's so that's the thing, right? Is that when these new softwares come out, early adopters, if you just learn how to use it, there's a value in that. But that value depreciates very quickly, as far as just being able to use it. It, beco- oh, yeah. it becomes a standard that you need to know how to use it. And so with these new technologies, as they come out, learning them early, there's a huge value in that. And then learning how to use them well is the one that actually has long-term benefits to pay off. Yes. I mean, it's not like we have a whole episode on that, right? No. We've never talked about this ever before, I don't think. No, no. Unimaginable. Because software is only yeah. a tool. Yes, it's only a tool. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> and that being said, I think we're at the end of our hour. I think we might have to revisit this one later, but I think for now we should just say, welcome to the machines. Please be friendly. <laughs> yeah, and cheers. <laughs> cheers to you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Count your blessings, podcast and session. You ask a lot of things, but it's the wrong fucking question. Huh? what? Say it's the wrong fucking question. Like golden and chops, we'll tag them in dimension. Hit you with that three marks. That poly machine. Couldn't tell if the image is real, it's probably a dream. Don't ask to be your favorite artist. Be you, make your own 3D. From your own point of view. Every shingle was singled out, now they all pointed you. On the contract is voice, what you gonna do? Asking what render engine is best, jokes on you. Pat Trace and the Monte Carlo, now it's time to take a cruise. Count your blessings, podcast and session. You ask a lot of things, but it's the wrong fucking question. Huh? Uh-huh. Say it's the wrong fucking question. Mike Golden and Chops, we'll tag him in dimensions. Count your blessings, podcast and session. You ask a lot of things, but it's the wrong fucking question. Huh? Say it's the wrong fucking question. Mike Golden and Chops, we'll tag him in dimensions. Fucking question. Fucking question.